Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 21. That's quite amazing because 21 episodes means that I've interviewed 20 people now, had 20 conversations because episode one was just me. And uh, as I mentioned at the time, probably will be the only episode that's just me. And so far, that is the case. Um, I'm just really amazed and pleased that I've had 20 guests to share their stories on this show. I tell you what, I really am glad, especially on weeks like this, that we are not a news podcast. It seems like in 2020, every week is just full of things. But this week, especially looking at, you know, certain people in our nation who uh, tested positive for COVID and um, just so many things going on, um, I'm glad that this is not a show that feels obligated to talk about those things. However... I want to go just a little bit outside theater to just acknowledge a celebrity death. I want to give a salute to Eddie Van Halen. I don't know how many of my listeners are guitarists or, uh, I mean, whether you play for the pit or not. Um, The guitarists I know, I would say there's a a measurable percentage chance. I would say 50% would not surprise me that Eddie Van Halen was one of your influences if you play guitar. Um, I can't think of a single more influential electric guitarist since Jimi Hendrix other than Eddie Van Halen. So we just say rest in peace and just give a shout out and uh, and just uh, thankfulness for his influence on music and the, the pioneering techniques that he did and making really the electric guitarist a superstar in the rock band. And for inspiring so many guitarists who play in all sorts of genres today. Okay, I know that there are a lot of reasons why um, each of you check in to this podcast. Some of you know me, some of you know the guests, some of you are interested in musical theater, some of you just uh, maybe you play an instrument in the pit. But I know some of you are music students or maybe you're a professional musician who's just getting started. Um, Or perhaps you've been playing for a while, but uh, you haven't, like, pushed yourself beyond, say, a local community level. Well, this is a show for you. I'm going to be talking today to Wayne Leachford, who lives in the Raleigh-Durham area. And uh, Wayne's bio is so impressive, I'm going to link to it in my show notes. Um, well, I'm linked to his website, and you can go check out his bio page. Uh, the number of artists he's performed with is uh, quite astounding. Um, I just saw the name Weird Al Yankovic, and, you know, that's all I had to see, but also The Temptations, The Four Tops, The Aretha Franklin, uh, Cab Calloway Orchestra, um, Regis Philman, Joan Rivers, uh, so, so many on and on. Wayne plays the saxophone, he plays other woodwinds, he teaches, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the various hats that he wears, but one specific hat that he wears is that he is the contractor of local musicians for the national tours that come through a lot of areas, but most specifically, 
what we know around here as DPEC, the Durham Performing Arts Center. Uh, for those who aren't local, this is one of, in, as far as I can tell, two places in the state of North Carolina that draws things like Hamilton, Wicked, uh, all of your major national tours come through this area, and if they're in this area, they go to DPAC. Um, probably at least one of the two major venues for such things in the state. Well, you may remember on uh, two of the past episodes, um, I talked to Tony Steve and I talked to Dina Riscala, both who are musicians who have been local musicians or regional musicians who have played for these national tours. Now, as we talk about the process involved, um, we're reminded in this episode that shows have a few musicians that travel with them. So there's certain instruments that you'll probably, if you want to be on a national tour, you've got to actually do the tour, and uh, you have to get that probably through New York. Probably will... Uh, I've talked to Brian Blauk about being on bus tours before, and I'll probably get somebody else on that soon. The majority of shows, however, have holes in the instrumentation, um, instrumentalists that don't travel with them, and it's up to local contractors such as Wayne to fill these needs for the local productions. And uh, the musicians that come in, there's a very high standard, and there's also a bit of a pressure on Wayne to get someone here who can do a great job. So we're going to talk about what are those expectations, and if you're a musician, what do you have to do to get a gig like this? Um, this is a very fun conversation, and uh, again, there's so, so much I could say by way of introduction, but I figure let's just uh, cut to the chase. Here is my conversation with Wayne Leachford. So, Wayne, thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. And um, just because we really literally just met two minutes ago, uh, I just thought I'd just go ahead and ask you, please describe what it is that you do. Or actually, let me rephrase that. Let's pretend that it's February of this year. What is it that you would be doing right now? Uh, February of this year, I was uh, I was playing the national tour of Mean Girls that came through Durham, North Carolina. And uh, so that was that was one of the last things I I did really before the pandemic. There was a couple other things after that, but that was the last major thing. Okay. Uh, but now um, you have something to do with hiring musicians for shows. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Could you tell us more about that? Well, um, I'm a musician contractor, music coordinator, depends on, you know, what, uh, what title you go with. It's basically the same thing. I find local musicians to supplement national tours. Um, you know, big name acts come through, they need a few local musicians. Um, I round them up and put them on the gig. And a lot of times I'm on the gig also, uh, playing woodwinds. Okay. That's great. Um, now, that's the primarily like the Raleigh-Durham area that you do that for? Primarily, yeah. Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, the Triangle of North Carolina. Um, but, you know, I've done stuff in other states, uh, other parts of uh, North Carolina. So, you know, when I started out, it was just pretty local. But uh, over the years, I've been branching out a bit, you know, and um, word of mouth connections, 
um, has gotten me in touch with some national booking agents that I've been able to put together orchestras for. Awesome, yeah. Uh, so now, um, you know, there's a pretty big theater, uh, you know, for national tours in the in the Durham area, which we know locally is DPAC, which is what is yep. it, for Durham Performing Arts Center, I believe is what that is. Yep. Uh, uh, so is uh, are you connected with that in any way? Do you provide services for them? Yeah, that's actually where I got my start in contracting was with DPAC uh, back in 2008. Okay. They brought, they brought me on as their contractor for local musicians. So that was my, my first big contracting job. Um, you know, before that, I'd, I'd been booking bands for, for smaller events. Um, but that was my first taste of, I guess you would say, the big league, you know? Right. Okay. What are some of the shows that you've contracted for DPAC? Well, uh, that would be a pretty big list. Um, I've contracted every show for them since they opened in 2008. Um, that's required local musicians, except for a handful of like inside contracting jobs with some, you know, kind of big name acts that come through. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so I've been their guy. And so, uh, you know, I'm at the first season start out with like legally blonde color purple. The next year it was, uh, Billy Elliot that actually did, a uh, like a two month tech in Durham, which was the only time that's ever happened. You know, we had wicked, um, but you know, since then things have really rolled along. Um, and you know, depending on the season, uh, you know, we've had up to 13 weeks of shows in a, in a season. Um, but you know, in recent years with a lot of the tours going self-contained that has decreased quite a bit. So even before COVID things were already kind of pointing a little bit downwards in terms of the frequency of shows that needed local musicians. Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask you more about contracting in just a moment, but, uh, let, let's start back at the beginning. How did you get into music? Music? Yeah. So, um, I started in eighth grade, basically, uh, in the band, playing the alto saxophone. Uh, I also picked up the electric guitar around the same time. So I was inspired by music I had been listening to in my childhood, you know, stuff my parents like, the Beatles, mm-hmm. um, Mo- uh, Motown especially. My dad was a big Motown fan. So that's the stuff I grew up with. Um, and so, you know, I heard the saxophone quite a bit. I knew I, knew I liked it. Uh, the guitar also it was the eighties. I was into a lot of, uh, metal and rock and stuff. So, you know, guitar was the thing. Um, but you know, those were like the two coolest instruments, so <laughs> guitar and saxophone. Um, so, you know, I went through all the high school bands, um, ended up going to college for, for something not music related, but then ended up going to college for music, uh, afterwards. So, uh, went through and got a master's degree at a you know classical conservatory and saxophone. And, uh, then I just joined the ranks of, uh, professionals here locally. And, um, you know, I guess the rest is history. Right. Um, so saxophone, is that like, uh, well, saxophone and guitar. So those are the main instruments you play. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of woodwind players that I talk to, they do some kind of doubling as their, uh, is saxophone it, or do you have other woodwinds that you play? Um, well, you know, over time I have, uh, learned all the woodwinds. So I, I didn't start out as a doubler. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was, you know, starting out in saxophone and in and, and my degree, I didn't, wasn't fully aware 
of doubling as an option. Um, it wasn't until I was, I was on some kind of work study job or something when I was at the school of the arts in Winston Salem. And I had to deliver some show posters to a, uh, to the theater down there or, you know, where I was. And so I saw it, it was, um, I think it was kind of a pre-Broadway thing for this musical called Swing. And I came in and there were five guys uh, playing sax, but also had flutes, clarinets, bass clarinets. I mean, just, you know, every woodwind you can imagine. And I was, uh, you know, that, that had a, uh, an impression on me to see that they were able to multitask like that and do all that. And it just looked, uh, it's like, hey, this is, this is a, you know, these are professionals. You know, these are people that, you know, have multiple talents. Um, and so, and then I had a jazz teacher at the School of the Arts that said, the saxophone players, you know, you need to get, you need to learn flute, you need to learn clarinet. And, you know, a few took him seriously, but most of us didn't. Right. And right. so, and I got in the real world, my, one of my first calls was, for Barry Sachs. And I'm like, Oh great. I just got out of school. This is awesome. I have work. But then they said, but you also need to play bass clarinet. Mm. I had never played the bass clarinet before. I didn't own one. Uh, so I had to turn, I had to turn down. And so that was, that was my wake up call about doubling that, you know, if I wanted to be, um, well, if I want to be employed that I needed to play more than just the saxophone to get by. So that's kind of what started it for me. Right. Okay. So you've added, so, well, you said you've added all the woodwinds, but, um, yeah, like clarinet seems to be the most natural, the being a single reed going with the saxophone family. So it is, I mean, you know, there, there's similarities, but, uh, the clarinet is a very different instrument than the saxophone. Um, you know, at first I, I took what I knew and tried to apply it and, you know, it works somewhat, but I, I had to really start studying the clarinet seriously to develop a, a legitimate sound and, um, you know, just the, the technique in general, I ended up studying with a, uh, symphony clarinetist, um, after I got out of school, you know, I still took lessons on other woodwinds, uh, the flute, uh, clarinet, oboe. I even, you know, studied with more specialty, you know, players like, uh, you know, the, the first chair piccolo in the symphony or like the English horn player. So, um, I did a lot of lessons, private lessons with symphony players, um, you know, I haven't I haven't had one in quite a while, but that was part of you know what really helped me to get things going. Right. Um, so I want to talk about theater now, and um, I ask this of every guest on the show: what What was your first show, and how old were you? <laughs> well, my very first show was Oklahoma when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, uh, I was a senior, and they needed a guitar player, and so. Um, I played guitar for that was that was my first uh, show, but it was a really long time after that before my next one. Um, I was probably about 20, 28. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the first show that I was paid to play was Three Penny Opera in Chapel Hill at the uh, Playmakers Repertory Company. OK, right. you know, actually, I was also just thinking, I don't know if you if you listen to soundtracks like film scores or not, but with your background with electric guitar and saxophone at the same time, it seems to me you'd probably like the lethal weapon soundtracks. Have you ever heard those before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The eighties, you know, it was the eighties. That's oh, yeah. when I started playing those instruments, you know, they were both super cool. Yeah. Well, that's a unique collaboration. It's, it's like, it's three it's, film composers. It's Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton and David Sanborn. So it's, mm -hmm. and 
and, and it's just fun. It just sounds like they, they just all three sat in a room and started improvising, but somehow it all seems to work. So I think Michael came and got him on the same page, but <laughs> yeah, no, but it, no, I mean, just the, the saxophone and the guitar, it's a, it's a great combination when they're used together, you know? Right. Uh, so, well, I know like in the lethal weapon series, the, uh, the saxophone is, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I just totally blanked on his name. Danny Glover is is his character uh, that gets the saxophone uh, from David Sanborn, and it's Mel Gibson's character that gets Eric Clapton. So it's just and funny how they came to that decision. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. So um, so we, now we come to uh, contracting. So let me just rehash. You started, um, I believe you said already, two thousand eight with Deepak is how you got your start. That's right. So how how did that happen? Did they did 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 you have a previous relationship with them, or were you hired for a gig and then they asked, do you do you have other musicians or? Well, it was it's uh, it's the classic story of uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. So uh, you know, friend of a friend, that kind of thing. Um, it was you know uh, a brand new facility, not even been open yet. It was probably about nine or 10 months from opening um, a pianist that I worked with uh, had heard through the grapevine about this new place and the uh, general manager who we had worked with in a chamber group in a much smaller venue previously um, was going to be there. So uh, she said, Hey, you know, you should, uh, you should look him up. You should give him a call. Cause you know, she knew I did theater and this was uh, you know going to be a pretty big deal. So, uh, got him on the phone, started talking, and um, it was a pretty long courtship. I I didn't get hired until about nine months later. Um, mm-hmm. So, but he had known me from a previous uh, you know business relationship and uh, knew that I was doing a lot of professional work in the area and that I need musicians. Right. So that's that's how I got the job. Okay. Um, so I, I'm sure I have a lot of listeners on this show that listen just because it's fascinating. They really don't know much about theater. They're not, they're not also, they're not musicians either. So I like to just kind of spell things out, uh, when possible. So you're, you're the first person I've talked to that, uh, has done, um, orchestra, orchestral contracting as a big part of their career. So let's just define that. What does that mean to be an orchestral contractor? And let me just kind of add that on. Um, when specifically for theater, how what are you doing there because i am I'm, I'm assuming that some of the positions have already been filled and with traveling musicians and that you are sure. just filling the gaps so let's just start with there especially when it comes to theater what is what is your job as an orchestral contractor well it usually boils down to what the show is um and what the requirements are um typical touring broadway show um, you know, they might bring three to five players with them, including the conductor, who also might be playing keyboard. Um, but then, you know, they might need anywhere from five to ten locals. Right. So, right. you know, I try to provide the best players I can based on I know their skills, their experience, their professionalism, which is really, really high on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't need to be worried about people being late about uh, not preparing for the show by not practicing. Um, 
just basically taking things for granted, not being professional. Um, so, you know, most of the people that I hire, I don't have to worry a thing about, you know, they take care of business. Um, you know, I don't have to babysit them. Um, but that's, that's really the thing is, you know, you want to get people that are familiar with Broadway, are familiar with the style. Um, you know, it's really hard bringing in a really great musician who doesn't really play theater. Right. It's not, it's not always a good fit. Um, with Broadway, it's, it's very, uh, precise work, very precision work, like, like, uh, like a classical, uh, orchestra. So, you know, every dot, every accent, everything on the page needs to be interpreted correctly. And with, you know, following the conductor's wishes. Um, so you you have to be extremely, you have to be, you know, extremely good team player. You know, it's not about you. It's not about the player. It's about the end result of the orchestra as, as a, as a collective. So, uh, so I need those kinds of people, you know, and over the years I have established a, a stable of people that I know do great work. They know the shows they're experienced. And I know that I don't have to, to worry about them, uh, you know, on the gig, on the performances. So, right. Okay. So that does a great job of describing like, what are the characteristics of someone who wants to be in there? Um, but just trying to understand fully more of what your job involves. Um, I'm assuming that knowing the people and getting them committed to the show is really only part of it, right? You probably have some other things you have to do, other information you, you may need to convey. Um, wh- well, yeah, I'm, I'm basically a liaison between the theater mm-hmm. and the show. Right. So, you know, when I'm contracting a show, I'm in touch with, with the house uh, their their technical needs, logistics, um, and then I'm also dealing with the show. I'm talking with a conductor, um, you know, whatever communication they have to do. So I'm, I'm basically a, a conduit between the house, the show, and the musicians. So on pretty much on a daily basis, I'm sending emails to the musicians. You know, it's like um, I have to, you know, do payroll. Um, so there, there are quite a bit of administrative things, contracts, agreements, um, checks, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's the end result is a check, you know, on the last show. Um, so, you know, there, there's quite a bit of things that go into it. Um, and really contracting musicians, sometimes that can be a pretty lengthy process as well, because, um, depending on the length of time I'm given to hire musicians, um, during normal times, uh, this is a very busy area for musicians. There's a lot of opportunity here, but, uh, so they might be committed to something else, um, especially if it's a short notice thing. So there have been times where for one trumpet chair, I've gone through 10 to 15 players trying to find somebody and also trying to find the right person. So sometimes the, the days, or I'd say the weeks or months, leading up to, um, the show, the actual performance, I could be spending little bits of time every day moving the process along. Right. Now you're, you're handling really big shows. Now I, 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 I've totally lost track of time and I can't remember what was planned and what already happened, but I know Hamilton was coming to Deepak. Uh, yeah. 
Yep. Did Hamilton's that... already come and gone once. Okay. So for something like, you know, so I just want to give, make sure that, you know, listeners know, yeah, we're, we're, we're not talking about, you know, small shows here. We're talking about Wicked. We're talking about Hamilton. You know, we're talking about, you know, really big national tours. I'm assuming that there's probably a no substitute policy for them. They probably want one player, but, but maybe I'm wrong. What, uh, what is the policy for, like, if you hire a musician, they say, oh, I can do uh, all the dates except the Saturday matinee. Yeah. Um, well, there's a pretty strict policy there. Um, the only time I've really been given any leeway whatsoever uh, is for runs of, like, three to four weeks. Right. If it's a one-week run or even two-week run, there's uh, pretty much a firm no sub policy, right? Which, um, you know, now that things have changed in our world so much, um, when shows come back, I think they might need to be a little more flexible about that. Right. Um, you know, the way things have been, um, of course, you know, these are all freelance work. I'm an independent contractor. Um, you know, there is no sick pay. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no paid leave. Um, so very often, uh, a musician will come to the show sick, sick as a dog right. <laughs> and then get the rest of us sick. Mm. Um, but that is mainly because of the no sub policy and because there is no sick pay. Right. right. So, you know, that's, that's a big issue that, you know, is, is really relevant more now than ever, but you know, Back to the original question, yeah, most of the time, no. Um, but, you know, four week run of Wicked, I have had a sub here and there mm-hmm. along the way. Um, just as long as it's minimal and, you know, someone that can come in and actually, you know, do a good job subbing. Right. Um, now, I thought of another possible difference between kind of the, the shows that we're talking about. Um, my personal interaction with an orchestral contractor has only been on the collegiate level. And, uh, and I know that, uh, her duties was, uh, pretty much about twice a week. It's like, here's new cuts from the director. It's like, and, and, uh, we're going to add this as a playoff and, and, you know, it's kind of as they figure out those things in rehearsal, but mm-hmm. the shows that you're doing have already been pretty well inked in what they're going to do because, uh, cause I'm sure like if someone happens to be traveling from Chicago to Durham, and they see the same show, they want to see the same show. So you're oh, not, yeah. you're not having to do that for your players, right? No, not, um, not as a rule. Uh, DPAC is in a, uh, interesting position though, because of their relationship with Nederlander, uh, one of the biggest show producers in America, um, that we often get some of the new tours relatively soon after they start. So, you know, every once in a while we have a, a run that, you know, maybe we're like the second or third city. Right. So, you know, there are still changes being made at that point, but um, that's not something that I necessarily have to deal with. It's, you know, because you've got the uh, assistant music director, you've got the librarian on tour. So they're usually handing, handling, you know, any of those changes. Um, but, yeah, you know, sometimes the musicians have to work on the fly. You know, they have to sight read They, you know, they have to, uh, deal with changes that might be coming, you know, at, at the 30 minute call before the show. Wow. Now this is a question. This is just a personal question for me that I, uh, something I've always wanted to know. 
uh, I'm a keyboardist. Mm-hmm. If I was hired for one of your shows, am I bringing my own keyboard uh, kind of approved or it, does the theater have keyboards that they, uh, or, or maybe even the production company have keyboards that they want you to use? Well, uh, the answer to that is no, you wouldn't have to bring your own keyboard. And the main reason is, uh, like you were saying, when someone saw the show in Chicago and they see it in Durham, they want to see the same show. So the show uh, has the keyboards pre-programmed, everything, you know, usually uh, in like main stage. Um, So the sounds and everything is going to be the same as what, you know, people are used to seeing on Broadway or Chicago. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, keyboard players do have to come in and play a keyboard they're not familiar with or, you know, one that they've not touched before. Um, and you know, the other part of that is the patch changes, the main stage, all that stuff. But, uh, so, you know, keyboard players do have to be pretty adept at dealing with the technology. Um, but fortunately they don't have to provide any of it. Right. Um, uh, also just one other question, since I know you've, you've, um, contracted wicked, uh, how many keyboards are in the pit for the tour orchestra? There are four. Okay. I, I knew it had to be three or more. Uh, uh, I saw it, uh, you know, I hope I hope this isn't a bad thing to say, but I saw it in Blumenthal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when it came through 2010, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went down and just peeked in the pit, I guess probably around stage left, and all I saw was keyboards. It was just like, yeah. it was all, you know, because I couldn't see the whole pit. They, they had it kind of covered up, you know, a good portion of it, but but I could peek in there and I said, keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. And it's like, there's at least three in there. So, yeah, Well, you know, it's, it's quite a reduction from the original on right. Broadway. The, uh, that's usually the case. Uh, no, no tour goes out with the same orchestration as on Broadway, unless the show was already designed to be small. Right. Um, there's a lot of uh, shows where the instrumentation on Broadway now is like five or six people, yeah. you know, yeah. So that is a huge change from the old days. Um, so shows like that, not only will they keep the same orchestration, but usually they're self-contained. Um, but yeah, Wicked, with, where you've got you know twenty plus people in the pit, um, you know, I mean, there's not even a string section you know, or any strings at all on the tour. So that's all you know, all done on the keyboards. Yeah, um, and I remember reading about like Phantom of the Opera is a pretty big drop. I I, I think it's like oh, 20, yeah. 28 or 29 pieces on Broadway and it's what 12 in, uh, in the tour, I believe. Yeah. It's pretty, um, a little bit more than that. I think it's probably closer to, to maybe 14 or 15. Okay. Yeah. Still about yeah. half though. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. It's yeah. I mean, you know, they've uh, a lot of samples going on there. Right. Um, Let's see. Let's uh. So, just for us, the musicians out there, uh, let's say that there's a musician in college, you know, and he's uh, been getting some experience in the theater, uh, or maybe someone has moved to the area. Maybe they've uh, they moved here from another state. Um, let's let's say they wanted to get some gigs at the profile that you're offering, and whether it's you or whether it's uh, Blumenthal or whether it's somebody else. What are some things that they should do to get your attention and to have a chance of being on your list? 
Well, the first thing they can do is contact me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first thing. Um, I'm, you know, I mean, I am a uh, freelance player uh, in the area as well. I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of gig work where I'm not the contractor. So um, I'm constantly out playing, you know, with other musicians and other circles of musicians. So um, the Triangle is a fairly small community, even though there, you know, there are millions of people here. Um, you know, it's. Um, it's a tight community, pretty small. And, you know, someone comes to town, um, you know, I probably hear about it sooner than later, mm-hmm. um, unless the person is not actively seeking work. Right. Uh, some people move here because their spouse moves here or whatever. And they, you know, kind of just hang out and, and get settled in before they start looking for work. But, uh, in general, you know, it's, it's word of mouth, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the case everywhere when it comes to, you know, Broadway type pit work. Uh, this is the case in New York City. Um, there are no auditions in New York City for theater. There are, I mean, not for the the music part, um, as there are no auditions for any gig here locally, uh, rather than or other than uh, say a, a symphony orchestra. So there are auditions for symphony orchestras, like there are everywhere. But uh, you know, it's pretty much the same thing here. I've never had to audition for a gig here, uh, especially a theater gig. Mm -hmm. And your audition is you playing on another gig and someone hearing you and saying, Hey, you know, this person can handle the work. They're really great. Um, so, you know, Deepak is not really the place that you would want to start at. Um, it's definitely a place that, you know, you have to have established yourself here, um, or come, really highly recommended, uh, right. from multiple sources. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I was, I always like to ask about horror stories and I, and I'm going to ask actually something specific it just, and you can tell me yes or no. Have you ever had a situation where you hired a musician and at some point the music director says that, uh, I, I don't like the way they play or I don't like something about them. You need to find somebody else. Has, has that ever happened? Yes, it has. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not very often. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, uh, not very much, not very much. I mean, you know, I've um, I've been working at DPAC for 12 years. I've, I've been contracting national tours for 12 years. Um, in that time, um, you know, I think I had two players. Mm-hmm. Actually, one player officially let go mm-hmm. in, 12, in 12 years. Um, then there were some extenuating circumstances that have a little to do with the show violating our union rules, but let's not get into that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't want to mention that show. They know who they are. Okay. Um, but, but anyway, so that kind of contributed to the problem. Um, I have had conductors that have given me notes said, Hey, you know, this player's not doing what I want them to do, or, you know, they, they have threatened to let them go. So sometimes I have to have a pep talk (laughs) with the musician and, you know, basically ask them, you know, is there anything I can do to, to help you out here? Uh, is there anything that could be clearer for you? Um, you know, are you having personal problems? Uh, anything I need to be aware of? Um, but by and large, um, you know, I think things have been rather smooth. So, you know, like I said, 
one person in 12 years, that's not too bad in, in my opinion, after doing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of performances there. Um, but you know, like sometimes, uh, as a contractor, you know, you don't want to take risk, but you do want to give people an opportunity. Right. And sometimes, uh, they, people will rise to the occasion and just do a fantastic job. And sometimes it's just a little too much for them. Right. Uh, so, you know, those, and it, and it is tough. When I first got it started in theater, um, it scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, you know, like, I guess big show, I would say, not national tour, but a, a big regional show here, the uh, MD. Uh, I wouldn't describe him as being the most cool-headed person <laughs> I've ever had. Uh, he kind of had a reputation for lashing out at players, and I was the brunt of it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm like, well, so this is theater. <laughs> this is theater, you know, being, uh, you know, but that was when I was a lot younger and, and, and way less experienced. But there again, someone was giving me a chance. Right. And, and I even know from my own experience, uh, you know, you got to have thick skin in theater. You know, you can't you can't be overly sensitive. You know, you can't take things personally. Um, so, you know, as far as any horror stories, uh, I would say probably earlier on, you know, that was more probably because of me, you know, right, because right. I had less experience. But, you know, I will say over the years, uh, and fortunately this has been less and less that I've been seeing, but, you know, there are some people, uh, you know, some MDs that uh, maybe they're just a little burnt out. Um, maybe they got something uh, personal going on, but are not really the best to deal with. And in some ways I get it. I mean, they're going and restarting the show with a new band every week. Um Sometimes I hear, you know, real horror stories from <laughs> from the touring musicians about other cities, you know, and I'm always wondering, are they telling the next city stories about us? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, depending on the personality dynamic, things can be pretty tough in the pit. Right. Right. So, well, let's transition to the other side of that. Uh, what? What's uh, at least one fond memory you have from and from pit experience, being a performer or just being a contractor? Well, you know, I have a lot of fond fond moments because uh, you know most of the time things go really smoothly. Um, you know, these shows are difficult from a technical level on many in, in many aspects, um, but they're also very rewarding. You know, to to work really hard. Uh, get in there and and play for a packed house and everything goes well and the you know the conductor's happy everyone's happy I mean that to me is like you know the ultimate uh, sense of accomplishment like you know all this stuff all these moving parts you put together and and then you're here doing it and it goes well and that you know pretty much every time is a fond memory right. you know right um, but you know I mean I will have to say the very first time, you know, they always say the first time is, is, you know, (laughs) you know, the first time doing this or first time doing that's the most exciting and the most memorable. And uh, I would probably have to say the same thing. You know, the first show I did at Deepak was legally blonde. Um, and you know, for a show with that name, you would figure, ah, it's not going to be too bad. It was one of the hardest shows I've ever played (laughs) to this day. To this day, I played uh, that it, show twice. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with you. <laughs> it's a tough book. Yeah. It's a tough book. Uh, you know, I was playing 
you know, the tour read too, which had seven woodwinds in one book, mm-hmm. um, you know, even including recorder and penny whistle. And so it, it gets pretty crazy. Um, but you know, that very first time that, you know, we, we got the first show up and running at, at, at Deepak was probably one of my most fond memories, I guess, because of the impact it had on me at the time. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and I just, you know, since you played Legally Blonde, I just tell you, in case you never counted yourself, chip on my shoulder, part one and part two combined, 38 keys. There's 37 changes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I figured out every key signature except one was used by intermission. So it's Yeah, that sounds about right. And I know there's probably at least one or two songs where um, I'm playing five different horns in one number. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's all over the place. Um, well, this is a question I, I probably normally would ask at the beginning, but as I was getting to know you, I decided to wait till the end. Um, no doubt the pandemic has affected your business, but to what extent? Uh, it's been pretty devastating. Mm. Uh, I won't lie. Uh, it's pretty much taken up, uh, I would say, most of what I do professionally, um, income wise, it's been hugely devastating, mm-hmm. uh, especially not knowing when it's ever going to come back. Um, so, you know, fortunately I, I still have other things I can do. I mean, I, I am a, uh, a teacher, mm-hmm. so music teacher. And so I've, I've taught woodwinds, um, at, um, uh, my, my business in Cary, uh, for years. And so I'm still continuing to do that. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty devastating. Right. Well, hopefully, hopefully come back soon. But, you know, it's just it's, it's hard to say because uh, I actually went on a rant uh, of episode that's coming out tomorrow about if if everyone will get on board and do what epidemiologists are advising and not what politicians are advising, we might get our work back <laughs> sooner. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, I tend to get pretty angry about it because uh, what what other people do. Um, when it affects other, you know, when it affects me, when it affects other people, um, that's, that's just something that I, I just really don't, uh, feel good about. And, uh, you know, America is all about personal liberty, but when your liberty is adversely affecting somebody else, you know, that's right. something that needs discussion. Exactly. Um, so do you have any other, uh, any special projects going on, uh, aside from teaching at the moment? Well, you know, I do a fair amount of my own uh, music writing. Okay. So, um, you know, I've, I've gotten into uh, electronic music in the past several years. I uh, put out a, an album uh, with uh, a co-writer back in April. So it was my uh, pandemic music release <laughs> in April uh, with my band called Cadillacs. And so it's uh, based on an electronic band. Uh, and I'm playing, uh, woodwinds, but I, you know, I do a lot of the, uh, the music production and, you know, play a lot of different instruments there. So that's kind of what's keeping me busy and keeping me going is, you know, just getting into my own music. Right. Well, that sounds great. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll get everything back soon, but, uh, glad, glad to hear about that. Um, all right. So this has been a great interview. Where can people find out more about you and, and include, include information about the Cadillacs where, where 
where can they find out more about you and your projects? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I have a website, WayneLeachford.com, and uh, you know, basically that uh, explains everything that I do, and and you know, definitely uh, some of the things I've done in the past. But you know, usually my con- usually my concert calendar is there. Right, right now, right. it's not looking too good, but um, uh, but also uh, you know, I have a the music store in Cary, North Carolina, which is called Leechford Music. Mm-hmm. So we've got leechfordmusic.com. Um, that's another website of mine. And then finally, the uh, the band that I'm in, Cadillacs, uh, we have cadillacs.com, K-A-T-T-A-L-A-X. Okay. So, you know, not to mention I'm, I'm all over social, social media, so you'll find me everywhere. Okay, excellent. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to just talk about this fascinating world, and um, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. And that pretty much does it for episode 21. Um, Since I did this conversation uh, about a month ago, I've gotten to know Wayne through social media, and I have to say that Wayne is the first guest I've had on here of whom I've truly been jealous. As we're releasing this episode, he is in a van with his wife, and they are driving all over the United States. I've I've seen him uh, in... Uh, I believe I've seen him in Utah. Uh, he's been around Nevada, Colorado, that whole area. And uh, just great pictures, Wayne, and uh, really jealous of your life right now. I know you you wish you could be working more, as we talked about, but it certainly sounds like you're having a great time and looks like you're having a great time. Next week, episode 22, I am going to be sharing my conversation with someone who is an accompanist. We haven't really gotten into that, what it means to play piano. And this is someone who's an accompanist for a university theater department. And uh, we're just going to talk about what that is like uh, from her perspective. And I look forward to sharing that with you next week. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, I want to give a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the vocal introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast or leave me a message at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening. 